Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big MX Radio Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Guts Racing. Andy Gregg over at Guts Racing, amazing dude with an amazing company that create unbelievable product. On top of that, you'll find that their customer service is second to none. Great stuff over there, and you can save yourself some money as well by entering discount code BIGMX20 at checkout to save yourself 20%. WSA, all things wheels. John Anderson, Kristen Anderson over there. Honestly, great people, and I can't say enough good thing about their product. Fantastic wheels, and on top of that, you can just go ahead and buy yourself a set of spokes, set of rims, or even grab yourself some hubs right off the website. And when you order through W, if you mention Big MX Radio, you're also going to save yourself 10%. You can save 30% with Faction Supply with discount code BigMXRadio at checkout. All one word, BigMXRadio, save yourself 30% on Faction Supply. They've got some really cool duds to make you looking really cool when you're uh, you're in the pits or just some awesome casual wear. But they also have gloves that you as well as I know. Gloves are really tough to really dial in and, and find your perfect set of pair of gloves. In fact, there's a lot of guys out there who will wear the same pair of gloves for basically as long as they possibly can. That's, the, that's exactly what the situation you'll run into with Faction Supply. They have really cool colors and the gloves themselves, they just work. Also on board with us is Epoxyit. If you're in Southern California and you need a brand new floor, get your floor redone by our friends over at Epoxyit. They do amazing work, they work extremely fast, and the product is always incredible when it's done. You're gonna really have you're gonna be really happy with the finished product when you call up Epoxyit. Also on board with us as a brand new sponsor, I am pleased and proud to say that we are on board with Maple Ridge Motorsports. Maple Ridge Motorsports. Maple Ridge Motorsports, located in Maple Ridge, British Columbia, is your one-stop shop for all things moto, and they are your family fun store. Go check them out online or go in and meet their friendly staff today. Go check those guys out. Unbelievable organization. Can't say enough good things about Sandra as well as Troy and their son Devin and Maddie over there as well. They are all amazing people, and if you're looking for something for your motocross bike or body, they probably have it. Go check out Maple Ridge More Sports today. All right, now let's get on with the podcast. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast, brought to you by Racetech. Racetech Gold Valves, pretty much a revalve in a box. Don't believe me? I'm advertising for these guys. Of course, I'm going to say nice things. Go to the website, find out for yourself the science behind the suspension and the engines that they build. You can email them, you can contact them, you'll talk to a real person that will take you step by step how this service is going to benefit you on and off the bike. And and then when you mention Big MX Radio, you're going to save some money. And that is awesome. Same goes for Luxon MX. Luxon MX is not just another triple clamp company. They are engineers who are passionate about pushing the limits of the status quo to give you a better ride, both the linkage systems that they provide, as well as the bar mounts and the triple clamps. Go check those guys out. You can save 10% with Big MX at checkout. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line, someone who I had on the podcast. I like I can I've got a great photo back, photographic memory, so I know exactly where I lived at the time that I recorded the podcast because I remember just like the the time and place that it happened, which means it was way too long ago because I was sitting in the condo that I used to rent with my ex five goddamn years ago, which means that Griffin is not only a very 
a good friend of mine who uh, doesn't give me a whole bunch of shit about me having him on my podcast every 10 minutes, Dave Drakes. But he's also way too goddamn busy and didn't even notice that I hadn't had him on the podcast for five years. Or maybe he's going to bring it up mid-podcast and just put me on blast. Either way, you probably know him better as Gas Productions. I know him as Griffin Denbesten. Griffin, how's it going? Doing good, Brad. How you been? I can't believe it has been five years. It's a while. I think it's it's got to be a five years because I moved into here uh, September of 2018. Um, last time I had you on would have been, I think, uh, earlier that year. We hung out a little bit at uh, at a couple of the Supercross rounds, and uh, man, time flies. And uh, yeah, like I, I just like. Uh, Forgive me for I have sinned. I didn't have you on nearly as often as I probably should, but we're <laughs> writing that wrong right now. And like, uh, and part of uh, the, the the reason for your exodus from the podcast is just you being too damn busy, just creating absolute fire. People, if you're not already following at Gas Productions, um, well, you're probably already following Austin Forkner, uh, and we'll get into that a little bit as well. But uh, follow Griffin as well uh, at Gas Productions. Uh, great content has been building, and honestly, dude, your stuff only gets better year over year over year. So uh, it's a time we put a bit, of, a little bit of respect on your name and call you up. Well, thanks, bro. I appreciate it. And yeah, I think I want to think. I remember last time we did this, I was in the van on the way to Loretto's. Way back there, you in go. There. Oh hell yeah, yeah oh, yeah. That that see that, that again tells me this is back in the day because I don't think I don't think you've been back to the to the ranch in quite a number of years. Hell, we are going on uh, March twenty twenty three. We're going on three years since the beginning of uh, uh, that beautiful COVID nineteen that uh, threw the world into uh, uh, just an absolute spiral. But um, you yourself, you're a filmer all-around good guy and been active in the motocross industry for gotta be better part of almost a decade now uh we've seen you uh running around with uh with mr simons uh we've seen you running around with uh with mr forkner as well as well as making a lot of content in and around the southern california uh, area um what are you working on now and how the hell did you get started oh What I'm working on now, I've been doing some projects with Troyly Designs recently. I've been working on me and Forkner's YouTube. We've been building a YouTube channel together, some clothing brand stuff to go with the YouTube videos so people can rep rep our company and just kind of support us in any type of way. And then, yeah, kind of how I got started into all this was just I was a rider myself. wasn't very good. I went to, like, my dad would take us some local trail rides. I wasn't a big track guy. Went and probably rode my first track at like 13 and then ended up not like riding too much. Ended up with some injuries, picked up a camera and kind of fell in love with shooting track stuff and then kind of just rode the waves <laughs> and kind of just see where it brought me and it's still going somehow, some way. Yeah, you put your nose down and and uh, you keep working at it. The good things happen, you know. Uh, I had the problem of my uh, my arms not staying in. I was like a freaking Ken doll uh, throughout my late teens, early twenties. Uh, there wasn't a season that went by without me dislocating a shoulder. Uh, it was the left one at first, and then the right one would go for about five years. Got that thing surgically fixed. Come back the following year, and the sh- the re- the left shoulder goes out. Um, and and with that, I picked up a microphone. 
uh, you picked up a camera, I picked up a microphone, and, and that's why we make good friends, is that, uh, hey, maybe you can ha- employ me to do some voiceover work. That hasn't come to fruition just yet, but that does make for good podcasts, and uh, I get an opportunity to sort of talk you talk to you about uh, sort of the evolution of filming gear, which I, I actually, like, I'm in one week's time, I'm going to be down in uh, in Vegas for... Uh, world world mini and uh, i'll probably have the exact same cost uh, conversation with wes williams who has seen the entire full gamut to the point where i think at some point he was recording on like eight mil tapes i don't think that that story goes as far back for you but uh you must have seen a huge difference no yeah that guy was going reel to reel on a on a, a vcr that's not quite like i'm sure you had um <laughs> uh final cut pro long before you got going but um yeah let's let's talk about like sort of like the the technology and some of the applications you used just as you started to get going um because uh yeah i think most people would be pretty uh, surprised to find out much like this podcast it doesn't take much yeah it really it really doesn't take a lot and like i always dude i get dms all the time from kids and like i love when kids reach out and ask me questions about all this stuff because I'm a camera nerd. I like talking about all this, all this shit. And so I'm trying to think my first camera ever, I remember I used to borrow my mom's cause I, it, people. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but I started off as a photographer, honestly. And I okay. take my mom's camera. We, she used to like shoot us at our soccer games and stuff. And so I took my mom's camera. I think it was like an EOS rebel, like old piece of junk camera. And like, I mean, back then it was a decent camera. But, like, now you would look at it and you'd be like, there's no way you made actual, like, cool videos on that. And so I started off with that and just some basic kit lenses. And then as I started building myself and, like, really trying to get into it more, I bought another Canon T5i, which is kind of like a lot of people that started their careers in filming moto or just a good basic camera with, at the time with, like, a T3i or a T5i. So I got the T5i with editing on iMovie came that's like a software that comes basic with all MacBook computers and just kind of like was messing around with that. And then I don't know. That was like a really cool time, honestly, because like you said, like you don't have a lot of equipment to like really push your limits, but I didn't know where I wanted to push my limits at yet. Whether it was, I shot a lot of skateboarding, like downhill longboarding and dirt bike still. And like trying to find my niche of what I liked. And then I ended up really getting into dirt bikes, and then I switched to Sony cameras. I think I had the Sony A7S III, and I used that for a hot minute. I really loved that You were camera. one of the first guys I saw I saw ever using Sony, in, in fact. Back in the day, like, is Sony, like, mirrorless cameras, like, they kind of took the world by storm. But, like, you were one of the first people I noticed uh, using them regularly. Yeah, it was pretty weird, like... I was always a big Canon guy and I always liked the way Canons worked. But when the whole mirrorless thing came out, I saw it as a big game changer. Like just the way the quality was there and like compared to like a non mirrorless camera, like a regular shutter camera and just being able to have those options of pushing the limits of your footage and just grabbing quality that people weren't really grabbing at the time. And they're just like, I think there was like, like me and maybe two other people using Sony's at least in the moto community at that time or maybe a few more but i do remember i was one of the only guys that really had that sony camera and then after that people started hopping on the train a little bit and then i actually left sony cameras for a big dog camera i got kind of put in a little situation where i got an offer to shoot the next games movie or not movie more like a short film 
with my buddy Joe Carlino, and uh, he was like, hey, we need you to shoot on a cinema camera, uh, which was like, a, at the time it was a red we were, he was talking about, and he was like, you either need to rent one, or, I mean, if you want to buy one, it wouldn't be a bad investment, and it was scary at the time. I was pretty young. I was probably like 20, 21 years old, and those cameras are a big chunk of money. It's almost like putting the down payment on a car or buying a whole car, but and then I ended up switching to one of those and kind of just helped me take off my career, honestly. It was a big investment in myself and my company, and it kind of helped me launch to where I'm at today. That's so cool, man. Yeah, like you, you're like taking that leap. It's not, it's not cheap whatsoever, uh, but like to, in order to take that next step, you need to have the technology, you need to have the equipment uh, to be able to, like, it's it's honestly, it's not a whole lot different than racing. Like, no one shows up to a, a race with a stock motorcycle. Um, like, there there might be a couple of privateers that are, that are close to stock, but if you're there to compete, um, yeah, you're going to have all the bells and whistles, and same goes for the photographers, and a lot of times that comes down to the to a, a pro-style camera body, and then, of course, it always comes down to glass. Um, when it comes to video cameras, um, are there different lenses that you can swap out? I, like, I'm, I'm completely green when it comes to actual video cameras. Uh, what type of add-ons uh, did you sort of implement to sort of take your, your stuff to the next level? And uh, later on a little bit, we'll get into sort of uh, what makes a gas productions video um, just like what sets it apart from everybody else's stuff. Like you didn't have that watermark in the corner. Uh, people would still know it's your work. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much you say that. It's funny because I like to, I like to think I have a style that's pretty out there. That's pretty noticeable that people can look at it. Like you said, Hey, it's a gas production clip. I remember back in the day, people would be ripping my content, posting on their big moto pages, not tagging me, but I had my fans out there that would be commenting like, yo, that's not cool. You're stealing his clips, blah, blah, blah. It was and probably that, me. That's funny. Sorry, go ahead. I said that was probably me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I feel like you were always, you were always nice enough to give me a little tag in there. And like, to be honest, I don't really care if people repost my stuff and anything that just gets me more out there, but at least for a little tag, you know, but as far as yeah. like lenses wise accessories, uh, I really, I don't really don't run with much. And I still to this day, I, I only run two lenses and it's more of a like financial standpoint, shit's expensive. So not like, I don't like to spend too much money on camera gear. Cause like if you want, you have your, your basic lenses. Like I run a Sigma 18 to 35 that I really enjoy. And it's on, uh, shoots macro as well. It goes down to one eight, I believe, in the S-stop. And then I run the Canon 7200 first generation. And I run the first generation for certain reasons called parafocus. And it's for video, it's pretty insane. You could like zoom in and focus at a point and then zoom out and still be in the same focus and it won't lose focus in the shot. And I kind of use that as like, that was like a decision I made to buy that lens certainly because of that function where the newer lenses you can't do that okay but and then yeah that's all i really run with and I, i'm a big tripod guy not a lot of guys run tripods these days and like yeah there's some instances where i don't where like supercross you don't really need a tripod because there's so much up and down motion anyways that tripods aren't always the best option for that but i mean i still use it a decent amount and i think it's a great tool that a lot of filmers most 
put off and say, hey, we don't need tripods. Tripods are whack, blah, blah, blah. But I really think it's a big tool that a lot of people don't use nowadays and that people should be using. Well, yeah, obviously now with the stabilizers that are out there, um, that's been a huge evolution over the last maybe, say, 15 years uh, of just being able to rig something up, uh, whether it's a, a proper camera or even you'll even see some guys out there uh, with their phone set up in, in, a, in a stabilizer or a gimbal or something along those lines. But um, you've been fortunate enough, I, I assume, I, I'm assuming that because somehow they let me down there, uh, to take photos from the floor of a Supercross. Now, that is a, it's a cool experience, and also, like, like if, you, if you ever want to be, like, sort of let down by how cool something is, go shoot photos of a Supercross race. Um, because the, the areas you're allowed to stand are minimal, and how creative you can be about what you're shooting and, like, it's it's very very difficult, especially like whether it's doing photography or video. Um, in fact, I don't think they, they I don't think they allow video on the floor. Uh, they they do allow video during the day in that sort of like that safety area at the bottom of the of the sections. Some some photographers yeah. can stand, but uh, give me your sort of uh, your take on. Uh, I'm assuming the first time that you were able to uh, go down onto the floor and uh, and hold a, ha- a camera in your hands. It's funny. Uh, I've actually never shot a Supercross before. I what? Mean, yeah, I mean, yes, I've shot at a Supercross event, but as of on the floor, night, night show, main event, I've never been allowed to. And they do have certain people like Tom Grenet or uh, Mason Churchill, Cole Beach. All those guys have been able to shoot video down there and they kill it because they're, they're working directly with Feld or Racer. Right. But I've never... Like, it's weird. I've never been able to shoot Supercross night shows, main events on the floor, and it's like at a point it made me. It's kind of bummed me out a little bit, but at this point in my career, it's like maybe that's not what I meant to do. And like I don't care. Like at this point, like it would be cool, but I'm past the point where it's like I could care less if I'm allowed to shoot on the floor. They say they, I don't even have permission to shoot in the stands. Like when we and Fortner do our YouTube stuff, we have no permission of filming races at all. Yet we haven't. We tried for the past two years. Only thing we're allowed is it's outdoors. They, I have some pretty good connections with outdoor people, and they appreciate the work we try to do. And they let me film at the outdoor races. But yeah, I've never shot a supercross. I've shot in the pits. I've shot some practice stuff, maybe from the stands. But even then, I was not really allowed to do that. And it's kind of been a weird situation, and it bums me out a little bit. But I mean, I'll have my time eventually, I think. But it's weird. I, I think it would be a cool experience, and yeah, maybe it's not like the coolest thing. Because Supercross is honestly kind of boring to film sometimes. But I think having the racers and honestly the storylines of what goes behind the scenes that a lot of people don't see that guys like me or guys like you get to see that happen at the races, whether it's like people getting hurt, people crashing together, championship fights that you get to see behind the scenes where you see riders in a tunnel against each other, like maybe talking a little crap, like. I feel like that stuff really makes it interesting and get, getting to be that in almost on the industry, that, that, if that's the right way to put it. But, yeah, I don't know. I'm still waiting for my my day or my call to be like, hey, you're allowed to be on the floor. But one day, hopefully. <laughs> well, no kidding. Yeah, like, I, I, I myself, uh, like, I, I've gone down a few times. Um, like, hopefully get to go down at some point again. They are pretty selective about who they let down there. 
Uh, it's kind of like a concrete list that doesn't like they don't have a lot of wiggle room like that. I think they're very concerned about how many people are allowed on the floor. Um, and typically when they, they allow somebody else and then they get inundated with like 200 more uh, questions and this, that and the other thing. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm here to say, honestly, like you're right. The, the most exciting part is usually in the tunnel, seeing guys kind of get after it a little bit over each other or stuff on the floor near the podium. Um, but as far as where you're allowed to stand and yeah, there's no, as far as I know, like there's, there's a couple of guys that are allowed to do video, but like guys like myself, if, if I had my, my camera on video mode, uh, they'd probably, uh, send me up to the press box real quick. Um, it is very yeah. weird to, to the, they, they don't allow a lot of, uh, video and stuff like that. I feel like, uh, fans would get a, a little bit better, uh, access or, or, or better look if they were allowed to. Yeah, it's weird. I always, that's one of the things I've always questioned about and it's like, yeah, I get it. You can't let everyone and their mother on the floor. And, like, you look at stuff now, YouTube is a big thing in our sport right now. And I've just gotten to, like, slowly start into that with uh, Forkner and following his life and his story. And it's weird, like, I don't know. It's like, I don't know if I'm bitter or what, but it's like there's certain guys like Hayden Deegan, he has his YouTube, like, let them. And, like, I don't need to shoot from the floor. I can shoot from the stands and be fine with a long lens. It doesn't bother me, but you think you'd want to give those permission to at least film anything inside the stadium because it's just helping grow our sport, to be honest. And, like, a lot of people get their information from YouTube, from whatever, Instagram, and it's like, if you're not providing that content of everyone's favorite rider, then what are you doing, you know? Like, imagine if all the top guys had their own filmer, their own, like, YouTube channel that was pushing their story. There'd be so many different storylines and so much more... I feel like gravitation towards the sport and more understanding in the sport and more respect for it. And so it kind of throws me off that they wouldn't want to see that. And it's like, yeah, I get it. Like, and I mean, it sucks. Like, obviously you can't have a private tier or you can, but it would be a lot to have every racer have their own filmer. But I was thinking maybe only like the top guys that are in a championship fight, it would be smart to utilize that. But I don't know. Let's put my two cents on it. And I think, yeah, no, you're totally right, man. Like, like obviously, like the, how they qualify things for uh, uh, a particular, like how you get access to a media or like the like when you uh, apply for a media credential, you have to supply your numbers. And if if it was like I I, I sort of see it like uh, if you're going to talk about YouTube specifically or social media filming specifically, because video is number one now. Like there, it's 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 been a while since. Um, any of the platforms really rewarded for like photographic um, yeah, content in general. Well. Yeah. It's, it's all, it's all video all the time. Uh, thank TikTok for that. Um, but I think that's the way things were going anyway. It's all about uh, eyeballs and for how long. Um, but if you had uh, like riders that basically like they could submit their, like their, their numbers, no different than I submit my numbers for the podcast. Um, and they they basically take like say like the the top ten like riders or uh, like filmers that hey my foot my the video that I'm going to collect over the over the next day or the next two days uh, is is more than likely going to be viewed by X number of million people. Um, that's just good business. I don't care. I don't, like like to me, like, it doesn't matter who's producing the video. Uh, it's the fact that fans have access to it and uh, I think that's the most important yeah. thing yeah yeah and it's like I, there's a few things that I think that could help in like deciding who gets to film and who doesn't like 
I mean, like for me, like you said, I've been in the in the industry, I guess you could say, for almost a decade now, or maybe even longer. And it's like I've been to the pro nationals. I've filmed with some of the most insane free uh, freestyle and free riders, and like been at those type of events, like X Games, yada yada yada. And like I know the basic rules. I know how to not be stupid. I know not to cross tracks, and like I know the fundamentals. And I've never gotten in trouble with any of the AMA or anything. And I think that. Take, be taking that in consideration because there is a lot of young like talent in filming a lot of young people that are maybe not as like smart or they're super excited and they don't realize that they do something wrong and they're not immature but like they're not they're, like overexcited about things where if i went to shoot a supercross yeah i'd be excited but i mean i would know i'm there for a job you know and not just for the experience and uh like you said, the numbers, if you submit your numbers and you're pulling numbers, why not? It's free advertisement with Supercross. And it's a way, if you look at it, all these privateers or even Forkner, example, like, we don't really have any, like, support. No one really supports our YouTube right now, but his sponsor's Monster or his sponsor Fox, like, we're just helping him be a proper, I mean, can't, not candidate, I don't know what the right word is, but almost like a proper image for his brand that he rides for is saying, hey, we like, no matter, like, you pay them X amount of money, we're still going to promote it on our YouTube because you guys support us. And, like, you support Austin or you support this guy. Like, how are people supposed to rep their sponsors more than just a race weekend? That's only one night a week, you know? Absolutely. No, I think he's just preaching to the choir, man. If, if, if a rider wants to go out and over over and above what their contract says is how like what their obligations are to provide value for their sponsor like uh, I, I doubt very much that there's a uh, a clause in Austin Forkner's uh, contract that says uh, that you need to produce X number of hours worth of content on social media um, there's probably like a, a, a certain number of posts that, that, that just get pushed that way but like as far as like actual like numbers of minutes on YouTube and stuff like that. Like that's just over and above and him going out of his way to entertain his fans. Um, and I guess that this is the time of the podcast. We sort of, uh, bring in, um, like the discussion about Austin is the two of you guys become like thick as thieves. You're, you're, you're good friends. Um, and I think, uh, in a lot of ways you working with him, um, especially through all the, the, the injuries that he sustained over the last say three or three or so years. Um, like, the video content that you've been able to produce uh, in a lot of ways not only keeps him relevant and keeps him sort of in the eye when he is able to ride his motorcycle, um, but it helps uh, some fans stay connected, which um, you as well as I know, if you can stay connected to an athlete or you can feel like you can sort of reach out and uh, and touch these guys, that, that sort of helps you bring yourself closer to the sport. Yeah, for sure. And like, that's a big thing why I do this whole thing. It's like, I like to tell stories. I like to share uh, memories, bring emotion out of people. And I mean, with Forkner, it's kind of been a lot of that, a lot of emotion, a lot of connections, trying to, he's a, he's a pretty misunderstood guy, I believe. And I think doing this whole YouTube thing has helped him like show that he's a normal dude. And like a lot of people misjudge him and his talents and just him, him as a person in general. And I think that's like, like you said, it makes him still keep connect, or still keeps him connected into the sport, even though he is or has been out for so long. And to me, that that like that's what makes me want to do it more. It's just that like, yeah, he may not be there every weekend, but we still try to be there for his fans and for his sponsors, and really kind of show who he is as a person. Because a lot of people didn't see that before. And I don't know. Like I said, I think he's a big, a big, 
misjudged person in general, not even just from his writing, just his personality, his attitude, the way he looks at life in general. A lot of people don't never really got to see that part of him. Almost like where you see Tomac, you don't know what that guy eats for breakfast. You don't know what he does outside of moto. He's pretty secretive, but you know, I feel like that's how like Fortune was for a little bit, and then now he's kind of like I won't say blossoming, but he kind of is. He's showing more emotion, showing more character, more reasons to like him than just being a good rider. Absolutely, you know he he. Like putting himself out there is—I think it's a great move. Like it, it allows people to uh, to get to know a kid who, like you said, uh, might be a little bit misunderstood. And where do you think that that sort of uh, originates? Uh, obviously, uh, because a lot of these athletes are are not super accessible all the time uh, due to like the complete lack of like any type of collective bargaining agreement. There is no like sort of mandatory amount of media these kids have to do uh if they want to be silent they can be silent and with silence comes speculation um which like that's just conversation about uh your riders and and some people are informed some of you are completely misinformed the uh, the problem is everybody has that voice and uh they can go on whatever website they want to sort of um give their opinion on stuff but uh like where do you feel like um the the assumptions and the sort of just like the the book on Austin Forkner was maybe written uh, incorrectly. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you look back early into his career, about his first few years of Supercross, and like it, he's honestly been in Super Supercross a while and in the light class for a, a cool minute right now. We actually talked about the other day. Twenty sixteen, right? Uh, yeah, I think we think it was 2016 or 2017 was his first year. I don't know too much about like when he actually started, but I do remember like when he did. He came in and hot. He was firing. He was almost like you could say a Jet Lawrence or like a Cinderella, where he came in really hot and he was he was one of the fan favorites and like he was a very aggressive rider. I mean, he has a pretty he has pretty big personality. Whether I mean you can take that whether it's good or not. I think it's a good thing. He's very outspoken. He likes to say what he says, and he's not afraid to say it. And he's pretty aggressive. And I think that's where, like, when he did start, his career did start not falling off, but going in a in a weird direction for him and all these injuries. People kind of took all that of him being a very aggressive and very confident rider, and people kind of took it and turned it on him and said, hey, like, what? You're talking all that shit, or you're riding that aggressive. Look at you now. You can't even finish a race or can't even finish a season and like stuff like that I think most people have misunderstood him and I don't really see that he's a real person too he has family he has friends that he's around and like that don't judge him and then you have all these people in the world that thought he was the best rider to come out and then he's had a, a pretty interesting career in the, the past few years and the kind of I think that, that's where it kind of mis- makes people misunderstand him and understand that He's still a good guy. He's still a good rider. He's still that aggressive. He still has that fight in him, and people didn't really don't really get to see it, and so they just stop. They they get to say they're little keyboard warriors and talk shit. But I mean, yeah, for me, that's where I think maybe he got a little misunderstood. Yeah, definitely. I think that like a lot of it comes down to uh, a lot of riders like fellow riders or fans not fully having uh, a good understanding of uh, the pressures that are involved with um professional racing as well as the uh, the emotions that come along with um 
being a kid that's at the very the very pinnacle as far as Austin Forkner was considered as far when he was on 65s, 85s, super minis, uh, even onto his early years on a 250, uh, in the classes he was in, the kid was the absolute man. Um, and that comes with a lot of pressure um, to, to continue to produce and win, uh, whether you're hurt or not. Uh, to be able to produce and win as soon as you turn pro, which he was able to do shortly thereafter his, his pro debut. I don't think he had a rookie win, but he had uh, wins in his sophomore season. And with that comes more and more pressure. And yeah, obviously, like that, like that's what the that comes with the paycheck and um, the price of fame and all that fun stuff. But um, when it comes to it, like a guy like Austin Forkner, I see a guy who uh, at a very young age had a lot of success, uh, still has a lot of success. And uh, what blows me away is very much like uh, one of the guys he probably grew up around quite a bit, which is Trey Kennard, um, a guy who can get injured and then come back and go just as fast as he always did. Um, that's something that uh, maybe be unique to uh, guys like uh, Trey uh, guys like Forkner, as well as uh, I guess the guy that's probably close to both of them, which is uh, Robbie Renard. Yeah, for sure. It is pretty crazy. And like me living in with over the past few years, I've been with them through that Jet Lawrence incident. I've been with them through this incident this year. And then the one that happened for outdoors, like I've seen him in a lot of, lot of tough mindsets, I guess you could say. And the fact that he can beat through that and get through it and then come out and still show that he's the man. I'm not saying he's the man. He's not like just being the fast, like one of the fastest guys in the world. And not a lot of people can do that after injury. You know, injury takes a toll on not just your mind, but your body. And to still be able to push through all that every year and come back and still like A1 this year came out and was the fastest guy. No questions asked. Jet was a little bit behind him, I believe, not by much, but still it shows that. He's a pretty strong person on and off the bike that he can come back after injury and still be the fastest guy every year after being out for almost three years straight. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's it's been since uh, I guess it was uh, the twenty it was it was the twenty nineteen title um, where he ended up uh, yeah. doing his knee. Yeah, I'm trying to think. One twenty nineteen. Oh, I'm trying to think. I'm have horrible memory, which is all this crap. But yeah, I believe it's back in 2019 when all this started. I guess you could say going downhill. I believe he did his. I want to think. I think it was a stomach. knee, a collarbone, a collarbone, and a knee. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're right. You're right. He did his knee right before. Uh, or no, it was a shoulder. Was he did his shoulder before outdoors towards labrum? Yeah. I don't know. I think I will, whatever he did, he's had three three bad injuries back to back to back. Which yeah, it sucks. But I mean, it doesn't affect me much. But I know it affects him, and I'm always there to make sure he's still still trying and still kicking, you know, and just support him either way. So, what are some stuff about Austin Forkner? Uh, like, it's actually a shame we don't have him on the podcast right now, but uh, and, uh, you don't have to give me the full peek behind the curtain of what it's like to live with the guy and all that, but um, what is it you wish people knew more about Austin? Um, and what would you what, what do you think a lot of people would be surprised to find out about the guy? Oh, that's a hard one. Um, I mean, we asked the tough questions here. Yeah. <laughs> He's a pretty interesting dude to live with. I mean, it's funny. We, uh, it's a very, very, like, you have to be kind of, not a tough person, but, like, we like to talk a lot of shit to each other. We're almost like, 
brothers in a sense. We we always give each other shit for something. Like we're not we're not always like, oh, like how's your day going? Whatever. Somebody's like, hey man, like how's the video? Is your, is your shit done yet? And then I'll be like, no, is your shit done yet? We just like go back and forth and give each other a bunch of shit. Like you think two brothers would do, which is kind of cool. And then I mean. He's cool. He's, he's honestly a pretty, a lot of people, he doesn't have kids or anything, honestly, but he has two dogs and he's, he's pretty like oriented family wise. Like he loves, he loves his dogs. He loves his, his girlfriend. He's pretty always down to hang out and always down to come kick it in my little editing office I have here and tell me if he likes things or not, whether it's him writing in the videos or not. He's always down to put an input and I always ask him, Hey, what do you think? And he'll give me his honest opinion and not hold it back. And I feel like, a lot of people don't see him as like a caring person, but he he he's always been cool to me and all that. Fair enough. Well, that's good to hear. And uh, yeah, like honestly, like people always often forget that professional athletes are are just people too. They just happen to be incredibly good at one particular thing that uh, that an entire stadium full of people are willing to sit, pay, and watch them do it. Um, yeah, they, they've got, uh, some of them are funny, some of them are not funny, some of them are smart, some of them are not smart, uh, and some of them are, are total goofballs, and I've seen the entire gamut. In fact, there's some, there's some uh, I've hung out with some professional football players that uh, are maybe the, uh, the most, uh, like, hardcore gamers that you've ever met in your entire life. Um, <laughs> like, when it comes to uh, living with Austin Forkner, uh, I don't want to get into too many bad habits, but, like, what's something that drives you nuts about living with the guy? And uh, what what's something that you're like that is a pl- you're pleasantly surprised about? Does he like does he clean the dishes when you're when, when not asked to or or what is it? Uh, I'm trying to think. One thing that I like living that often. He uh, trying to think. It's a hard one. There's there's so many things. Uh, I mean, he's very uh, supportive. I guess you can say idea wise. If I have anything that I want to bring up, and it's whether it's like. With what we want to do with our game room, like if we're big video game people as well, or what we want to do with like a new video or a merch drop, he's always down to sit down and talk about it and give his honest opinion, and that's always a good thing. And like always being, I guess, honest, you could say, and truthful, and not afraid to speak his mind. I, I always, and any kind of person, I always appreciate that because I don't want, I don't like people that are like not yes man, but they're always like. Trying to say yes, 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 good idea, good idea, just because they want to be your friend. He's not afraid to say, hey, Gaff, that video sucks. Or like, hey, I don't think that's a cool merch drop. Let's do something else. And I've already designed half of it, you know? But so that's probably a thing that I really appreciate because, I don't know. That's just hurts your feelings. Yeah. And then one thing <laughs> that annoys the shit out of me, I'm trying to think. Uh, he loves blaring YouTube in the living room. That's really annoying sometimes when I'm trying to work. <laughs> but otherwise, I just tell him to shut up and he'll turn it down. But okay, other than that, he's a pretty easy guy to live with. I like it. That's fair enough. Like, uh, yeah, like honestly, like I'm, I'm always curious about that sort of stuff. Like, I was talking to uh, Jacob Martin, who uh, he lives with Seth Hamaker, and like they lived to, like two dudes, super young in their early twenties, living together. Um, I'm always curious about who does the cooking and, and who who's the cleaning. It was actually pretty funny. He was kind of getting into that a little bit. Um, like, what is the what is the go to um, gas productions dish? Uh, I, I assume, I, I assume you know how to cook. 
Yeah, it's actually funny. Before I was a filmer, I actually worked at a decently high-end restaurant as a cook. So I've always been, that's another thing I really enjoy on the side of other than just filming. I really enjoy cooking and the art of that. And I really get, I've really learned a lot. I almost went to culinary school before I did filming. But my go-to dish probably, I don't know, I, really, I make this pasta. It's like a spicy vodka pasta. It's pretty good. Like a vodka sauce pasta that I really like to make. Yeah, that's probably that's probably my go-to meal. There we go. Um, so what's the prognosis of getting this kid back going? Uh, I, I doubt we get him for any of the outdoors, um, it, which means you probably don't see him much uh, throughout all of 2023. Um, but, uh, yeah, you, you're pretty close to the, the nucleus of the situation. Uh, when are we going to get to see the, is it 55 now? Yeah, he's running number 55 now. All right. Uh, um, that is a heat. I can't believe he hasn't secured a, a, a per- permanent number by this point. Like, I think he probably might have some sort of record for most wins without having a permanent number. I know. It's such a weird thing. I think he would always have one by now. But, yeah, as him coming as him coming back, it's really hard to say. I know he is ahead on his recovery path, which is very good. He's been going to Dr. D almost every day. I've never seen a guy be so determined about getting back on the bike, honestly. He wakes his up, and we live – probably an hour, almost an hour and a half of traffic sometimes to Costa Mesa. And he drives there three, four, five times a week just to go see Dr. G. does all of his, his workouts and his therapies that he can do. And it's hard to say. We really want to get him back for Super Motocross. There's a lot of money to be won. And as a new event and a new part of our sport that could possibly grow the sport in an insane way, it would be pretty pretty cool to have him come back and be fighting for that the wins and the money and maybe stir some shit up that he wasn't able to stir up this season. And I think it would be for fans. It would be insane being at the LA Coliseum or wherever the rest of the rounds are. I forgot, but it'd be pretty cool to see him back for that. But therefore I know there's some weird qualifying rules where you have to have a certain amount of points. So we're not sure if he, he may be back and try and race some outdoors at the very end just to get into the super motocross or to see if there's any kind of way where, he can get into that super motocross. That's his big, his big picture. And I was trying to get there and win. Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. Like, uh, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think winning is a automatic precursor to get you in. If even if you're not uh, in the top twenty in points, although I I would be willing to bet that if you go out and win an outdoor national, fifty points is probably enough to actually put you in the top uh, top twenty in in points. Just going out like just as a as general guess because you usually get a, a lot of guys that get like two or three points per moto uh in the outdoors and uh yeah i guess that if you got two points per moto on tw- it's not even 24 motos anymore it's 22 motos with uh losing an outdoor national which uh, don't even get me started on that uh 11 is a very psychologically unsatisfying number to this podcaster um but uh um either way it'd be good to see the kid back and uh yeah like i like we said uh, off the rip there he'd probably still be going pretty damn fast when he does yeah and i i do think it's going to be a tall order to be honest it's not going to be easy for him because coming out coming out of injury especially a knee injury and trying to win an outdoor national and maybe only have two to three chances at that after what is it i think it's an 11 round series this year it's yes. not going to be easy and it's probably going to cause a lot of 
emotions and like I honestly think it'll be a really good story to follow and I'm hyped and really excited to hopefully get there soon and be able to capture his struggles of trying to get just to trying to get into the super motocross with all the outdoor stuff it's like those motors are not easy and the later the later tracks are gnarlier and a lot harder than these West Coast rounds that are out here I think just the conditions and the weather and he lives out here in Cali now so he's not as like used to that anymore so I think it's going to be very interesting to see how it plays out and I hope it plays out for the best obviously I want to see my friend win and be able to come back from injury and take take everyone by surprise again oh hell yeah we'd be we'd be stoked to see it so um like in addition to filming you also do some graphic design work and you've worked with austin to do some uh some merch drops and stuff like that um how fun is it to sort of get out of, out of the the video editing uh applications or uh um software for a little while and uh, and put your design cap on and uh, and work on some of the some of that stuff it's pretty interesting. It, it, uh, it gives me a good like break from dealing with just video stuff. Like video stuff can get very monotonous and boring. Just doing the same brand videos or same Instagram edits. So it's always nice to like break the routine and say, "Hey, let's let's try to design some clothes or just design some cool stuff." And yeah, I'm not the best at it. And I the way I do it is like I have an idea in my brain. I have connections with some artists, and I say, "Hey." this is what I think we should try to do and I'll work with other artists and tweak it and tweak it until we get it perfect. And then I'll take a logo that they help us make, put it on our shirts or blah, 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 whatever accessories we're trying to do and kind of just design the layout of it. And to me, it's not like, Oh, I'm not doing all the design work myself because I don't know. I'm not that skilled yet. I'm slowly learning, but it's, it's definitely cool. It's a different form of art. I'm in kind of into all, all kinds of art, whether it's music, cooking, filming whatever it's always been all that stuff's pretty interesting to me and so it's cool to like get into another avenue of expression almost rather than just expressing myself through my videos and all that well, fair enough yeah no, definitely a, a good way to sort of uh, get the creative juices flowing um like i asked it earlier i'm not entirely sure if we got to the the absolute bottom of it but uh like Watermarks were uh, like off altogether. Uh, if there was no evidence that uh, that a particular video was a gas production, uh, how, like what to you is your sort of like visual calling cards um, that kind of make your stuff stick out from the rest and uh, and also sort of uh, let people know, even if they don't see that watermark, that it's your stuff. Uh, I think a big thing is the way I shoot things. I like to shoot very low. If you look at a lot of my videos, the intro clips, I shoot almost from under the bike. I use almost the bike as some foreground. And uh, I don't know. I really like, I really think that separates me from a lot of people. A lot of people are scared to, not scared, I would say, but don't think shooting low is a cool look. But I like to think of it as another way to use the bike as almost a reveal to the rider, to the subject. And another thing is probably my quality. I mean, I've really invested a lot of money into my setup and, whether that's my computer or my cameras, anything like my audio equipment, I think this my quality helps tell people or show people and like help identify as a as a gas production video. And then big, and then last probably just like my music taste. I like to use a lot of different music. I mean, big fan of rap music, but I'm not afraid to throw some old school R and B, some classical music, some jazz music. I'm very wide variety and a big fan of all types of music and 
I just think that helps input my style and makes it my own style and makes it a gas video and separates me from other people's content. I like it. What is a song off the top of your head? I'm putting you on the spot right now. What is a song in your like in your your daily rotation right now that is an absolute banger, but most people probably don't have it um, at their beck and call. You're, gonna, you're probably gonna laugh, but a song I've really been liking right now that I like listen to on a daily basis is probably a song called At Last by Etta James. It's a very okay. slow, like bluesy, jazzy song. But I, I would really enjoy like I'm really enjoying that vibe lately or some good in, in like indie rock type vibes, but I would probably say At Last by Etta James. It's probably the one that people would probably be surprised I listen to. I think I know the song. Like it's a, it's a it starts off as, a, as a an acapella song. Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. Gonna bring to the piano flow. Oh, fair enough. I think we're gonna we're gonna uh, exit the podcast with that sort of fading in. That'll be a nice touch for the the folks at home. Um, <laughs> Dude, this this has been so much fun. I, I really appreciate you making some time for the Big MX Radio podcast today. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, but it's been a minute, and hopefully it's a little less longer this time. Hell yeah, there's there's no way I'm letting uh, five years go by without having you on the podcast, uh, or you can possibly uh, probably uh, we'll, we'll dial you up for an edition of Five Guys, which is my uh, my weekly article that is going to be found on Verb Moto. Uh, I'm I'm happy to let everybody know listening, uh, and I guess I'm going to break the news with you right now, uh, Griffin, that as of 24 hours ago, uh, I logged into my brand new email over at Verbmoto. Uh, Brad at Verbmoto.com is where you can reach me as uh, I am now a journalist and beat reporter for Verbmoto, uh, officially taken in uh, from the cold by uh, Wes Williams. Chase Stallo, Brett Stallo, and everybody over there. So it's uh, it's me, it's Chili Dog, it's Slaw Dog, and unfortunately it is uh, as well Tro- Troy Dog uh, in all of his glory. Uh, Full time at Verb now, so I'm stoked. Oh yeah, that's a that's a big big opportunity for you. I'm stoked for you, and I've always dreamed of doing Verb videos and being a part of anything that Verb does. So that's a that's a big accomplishment for you. Stoked for you, dude. Thanks, man. Well, I, I'm super stoked on it as well. And uh, yeah, more than likely, uh, every single week we 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 talk we talk to five guys, and it's uh, uh, sometimes we're gonna sp- we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll make some some women in there as well. Uh, but just literally, I pick out five guys from my uh, my long list of contacts, ask them five. I wouldn't say random questions, but just questions that I'd like to know. And uh, yeah, we we could, we tabulate it all, and uh, yeah, it comes out as something awesome. So. Um. Yeah, that's available. It, it got released this morning, and it's available every either Tuesday or Wednesday morning on Verb Mono. So you guys go check it out. Cool. I'm excited. I'll be I'll be scoping for you and supporting for sure. Love it, man. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, making the time. Um, let, let's not make it five years before we dial you up again and uh, and pick your brain a little bit. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. Anytime you want me on, I'm. I'm always hyped to be on it. Let's do it, bro. Uh, do not hang up just yet, but for podcast's sake, we're going to cut it off right there. <laughs>